Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Yeah, the Ric Flair documentary was fire. It's Wes. This came out. It's on Peacock. It's called Woo. Yeah. <laughs> I <heard> it was. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, this man said real quick. And Walker. It is called Woo. It's not the most glowing review of the title. <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. And like, I thought there would be like a lot of emphasis on the oh, Whoa! And he was just like, it's called Woo. That was quite the segment. Phrasing at an all-time uh, high phrasing at an all-time questionable level there with <laughs> Willie P. But, man, I, you know you know what I love about Willie is that he doesn't realize, I think, in the moment what he's saying. And then he realizes it after a five-second delay and thinks, oh, wait, that's probably not the way I should phrase that, especially in front of Josh mm-hmm. Fiddy Marlowe. And I believe that's what happened. And we just kept rolling with it because I'll never forget when we were filling out our brackets, there was the bracket that did not have his name on it. And it was perfect after the first round of ACC tournament games. And what did he say? Yelling big in the D. background. It's got the big D on it. I mean, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help. What, what'd you say, Willie? Big D. Yeah. It's just right there. And that's what happens to Willie when he hops in the studio with us. Love you never know what's going to happen, no, man. No, you really don't. And then and, and Fiddy and Willie, that's a that's a dangerous combination. It's just, it's about as dangerous as it possibly it can is. get. You can go check out some of the videos of their interaction on social media, at Wes and Walker, at Wes Bryant underscore 72, and uh, at Willie P. Style. I think that's right. Willie P. Style. That's his Twitter handle, so make sure you follow all of the people involved there on their Twitter accounts where you can go find that video. Keep it right here. For the live wire right now for the same dude, Fitty. Live wires on the team connect. Get respect for their realness. I know you feel this. The east and the west. Up north to the down south. All right, so one thing that we haven't really talked a lot about was the weird uh, situation in the opener at Atlanta. On the punt return with two offsetting penalties that saw the Panthers actually start their drive from the one-yard line. Um, I know Mac and Bone spent a lot of time questioning this because Dean Blandino's uh, quote-unquote explanation on the broadcast (laughs) didn't really clear anything up as to why the Panthers were having to start on the one. Well, they went to America's long snapper, J.J. Jansen. And this is a little bit of a lengthy answer. But he joined the boys this morning to explain why the penalties offset the way they did and why the Panthers had to start their drive at the one-yard line. The overarching premise on any special teams plays is they don't want to re-kick. At the end of the day, the NFL is an entertainment business. They don't want lots of extra special teams plays. So as a general rule, they don't want to have re-kicks. What happened on that play was you had fouls on both teams. It wouldn't have mattered what the fouls were. They happened to both be personal fouls, though. Blocking what we call four feet in the white. So the gunners on our sideline were blocking their gunner um, while while both players were in the sideline. So that's a personal foul. 
obviously everyone saw the horse collar, which was about as nasty of a horse collar as I've seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah. But there, there was there ends up not being a penalty, but he will unfortunately get a big FedEx uh, uh, receipt in his locker on Tuesday. <laughs> the guy from Atlanta, because just that's what happens. But the result is that they, the fouls essentially canceled each other out. But because there was a change of possession, the way they enforce that rule is either at the catch where the punt, where the ball changed possessions or the end of the play. And here's the difference, whichever is worse for the return team. So typically what you've seen, these plays happen all the time, but typically what happens is a returner catches the ball at the 20 yard line. There's two fouls. They're offsetting. He returns it to the 30 and they say the ball is spotted at the spot of the catch. And everyone goes, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Like that's where he caught it. Yeah. But the way the rule is written, it's whatever is worse for for the return team, which happened to be us that time. Did that clear up anything for you, Walker, or did you come away still just confused and mesmerized the Panthers got screwed out of field position? Well, no, this is no slight to J.J. because I, I understand everything he's saying. I totally get it, and I think he articulated it well enough to the point where I understand the rule. The problem is there are even people refuting it still on the text line despite the great J.J. Jansen telling you how this rule works within the NFL and not even based off of their dispute. A 704 number wrote in, Dean Blandino just said on NFL, radio that Carolina should have had the ball at the eight yard line which was the end of the kick complicating this even further Mm. and so it seems like JJ might even have the idea of the rule right if this is true I have no clue if it is but if this is true then maybe there are just a few more details to get right here's the problem though with the NFL trying to clean up special teams plays that are so dangerous time and time again this is the result when something goes a little awry Everything gets complicated. And when you try to keep special teams in, you try to give it life within the NFL, despite also trying to take away the foundation of what special teams play was in the first place. You're kicking off, trying to make these as safe as possible. Then you have these weird rules, because if you heard JJ at the beginning of his explanation, everything is designed to avoid re-kicks. Because all you're doing is putting in the most dangerous play in football and replaying it. Oh, no one got hurt? Now we'll run it back because of penalties or whatever. And now there's another chance for that to happen. Right. So I understand the idea not have trying to limit as many punts and kicks as you possibly can. But this is where all of the it's really hard. The the complexity of it, trying to understand some of these rules that result from it. And this is what we get. I thought JJ did a good job of explaining. He definitely did. And so I'm sitting there on Sunday watching the game. And when it happened, I was a bit confused myself. And so that was a wild part, just like in the Duke Clemson game, when they had that one instance where it was a targeting on Duke on a fourth down for Clemson, oh, yeah, but then Duke crazy. got the ball. Like, I was like, wait a minute, what happened? So the same thing on Sunday as far as what happened with the Panthers. Uh, I get it's kind of a player safety type of deal, but it was a very complicated situation. No, I'm glad you brought that one up. We didn't even mention that one a ton when it happened, but that play that you're mentioning, targeting called on a Duke player, right? Yes. And because of that, they – Still, or even despite that, they still get the football. Yeah, that's that's the ultimate thing. So even with that being in the rules, it seems like there's a fundamental problem there. Here, I understand it. I don't know if I have as big of a problem, but with Duke being accused and called for targeting and Clemson, and they still get the football. 
right? Because Kate Klubnick slid. It was not a good play mm-hmm. from Kate Klubnick. That's the problem that I have with that. But good explanation. Glad you played that soundbite so that can clear things up for us, having him explain it to us like that. What All else right. you got, Fiddy? Okay. Um, next, I've got a trade proposal that I want to go over with, with you guys. Walker, how much stock do you put into the NBA Analysis Network? The NBA Analysis Network? Yes. I'm not sure I knew that was a thing, so I have to answer zero. Okay, so James Piercy from the Swarm and Sting blog that covers the Hornets. Mm, Okay, I know Swarm and Sting. Has put together a hypothetical deal that has the Hornets moving on from LaMelo Ball before that record five-year, $260 million extension is set to kick in. Here is the deal that he has proposed. The Hornets would trade LaMelo Ball to the San Antonio Spurs for Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, Reggie Bullock, San Antonio's 2024 first-round pick, the Atlanta Hawks' 2024 first-round pick, the Hawks' 2007 first-round pick, and the Spurs' 2028 first-round pick. What do you think of this trade proposal to ship away, arguably... The most talented Hornet to ever put on a Hornet uniform. I guess it's right with the headline after me clicking on the story that it truly is an insane trade proposal that they have come up with here. That's a lot to take in, even as a listener. So Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, bringing them on home. Reggie Bullock, San Antonio's 2024 first round pick. Atlanta's 2024 first round pick. Atlanta's 2027 first round pick. San Antonio's 2028. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a volume return, as it states here in the article, where you just paid this guy $200 million. It's still a lot of picks. You might have to consider it. But honestly, this is quite the trade to just throw in my lap like a hot potato. Here, Walker, see how long you can handle it. Like, I have no clue what to do with this kind of trade. It's a lot of first-round picks in return, but ultimately... You're banking on the Spurs being so bad and collecting as much talent. It's going to be hard to turn down that many picks, but I don't know what to do with this thing, Wes. Yeah, man, no, we cannot because that's a glimpse of what Charlotte could have been had we gotten Wimby. So that would just add insult to injury to get to open up your phones, open up your cut on your TV and see LaMelo Ball throwing lobs to Wimby and those two having just a grand old time out there while we just sit here in Charlotte and just continue to be in the lottery year after year after year because that's what would happen if LaMelo's gone. And I know people say they could be there anyway, but no, man, you can't do this trade. You have to keep LaMelo in the city. Hornets would not be worth watching, in my opinion, if LaMelo Ball is gone. That was the wildest thing you've ever thrown to us, just <laughs> off the fly like that. Like, no preparation. What would you do for all of these picks, all of these players? LaMelo, go. I, was, I have no clue. I was really hoping that, like, Hornets panic walker, like, whenever they traded away SGA, was going to... Like, like, that's my motive. I want that version of you... On the radio. I want to see it live. I really did. I had a meltdown. It's true. I know we talk about it, but it was at Spectrum Center. They drafted him. It's the guy I wanted so badly. They draft him. He's a Hornet for five minutes. I would say Aaron Rodgers' tenure as a Jet lasted longer than SGA's tenure as a Hornet lasted. And that's what's tough. I know. I hope he comes back. Mm. What else you got for us? All right. So, look, I know Matt Rule is no longer the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, but he is the gift that keeps on giving. Remember, we all said if he got off to a slow start in Lincoln, the people would get on their overalls and get in their corn stalks and they would start freaking out. The criticism is out after an 0-2 start and, well, 
the head coach of the Cornhuskers, he's kind of defending what's going on with his program. Like, this, this is kind of this is kind of what you get when you hire me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this is what you kind of get. Like, um, it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be, we believe, um, built to last. It's going to be built on rock. Um, and so we we take advantage of these. We take advantage of these painful, painful moments. We sit there and want to say to our our goal right now is to say to ourselves as a coaching staff, in three years, we did our best coaching these weeks. So um, I understand the, if there's frustration. I understand if there's like, man, why, you know, but um, we're trying to learn how to win. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to learn how to win. And, and that's everything. So obviously, can you turn the ball over four times and win? No, I uh, get that, right? But like, why are we turning the ball over? Like, why? Like, I take accountability to the guys. I, I did. I did a poor job last week of preparing for the crowd noise. I didn't do a good enough job, and um, that's not an excuse. That's me. Honestly, I hate when coaches get up here and say it's on me. I honestly did not do a good enough job. Uh, just you know, I'll say a lot of people do like to give Matt Rule grief for his tenure here, and rightly so. But this is a guy in the college coaching ranks that, yeah, the Nebraska fans should be should give him time because all he's done in his college coaching tenure is turnaround programs. He came to Temple in 2013. They went from 2-10 and 10 to when he left back-to-back 10-win seasons. Same thing at Baylor came in. They go 1-11. and 11. He leaves on an 11-win season. So for Nebraska fans, you would think just off of his uh, pedigree in college football that, uh, yeah, they may go through some lean times to start things off. But he will turn things around and get them winning. At least he did in college the first time around. This yeah, is pros, the excuse. not so much, but this college is, for sure. Right, but this is the excuse, and this is why it's so hilarious, is because we heard this all the time when he was here in Carolina. Just give it time. Everybody's running wild with the Jay-Z seven-year joke. There are so many different things that sound a lot like that. What Matt Rule would go to the podium here in Charlotte and say to us and try to get us to buy it. Do you believe in what you're selling? Yes, I 100%. I 100% believe in what we're doing here in Carolina. And you're right. Two and ten at Temple, six and six, ten and four, ten and three, one and eleven at Baylor, seven and six, eleven and three. He doesn't have a quarterback. That's also a problem that he had here in Carolina for sure. a while. Do you think that he's gone to their athletic director and asked for a second and fourth round pick to trade for a mediocre <laughs> He is, might have. Is there any way that we can trade for a reclamation project? I, you could just go get a more talented dude. Nah, let, I think this is the way. We need to go and give something up to get an average QB that is going to underperform. Mm-hmm. And then, then we'll reach our seven-year Jay-Z goalpost. That's what we're going to reach. I did find it interesting that it's, he said it would take seven years in the NFL but only three years in college. So I guess he's working on a accelerated time clock there in Lincoln. And I'd also want to know what rock is he building his program on? I don't know. Was it? Yeah, we're going to build it off. Made uh, out of corn. I mean, was, it could be that. Or is he just talking about the genre of music? We're going to build it off of rocking real hard, man. You know? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Certainly not hip hop with the Jay-Z seven year reference. <laughs> All very fair questions. It's Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We skipped it last time because we struck a nerve with Wes. He talked about his road rage. We're going to try to get this thing back to second take Tuesday. Defense edition, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Second Take Tuesday, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. No more road rage conversation, although plenty of ideas and plenty of thoughts on all of that on the text line. Feel free to continue that, 704-570-9610. Let's go to Second Take Tuesday, Defensive Edition, and let's see if Wes is as condescending as he was when he was backing up the last play that I had with the offensive <laughs> Second Take Tuesday. I talked about how... I thought the my favorite play was something I wanted to talk about. Hayden Hurst, after they fake it to the right, they put a guy in motion, tight end holds his block for a little bit, then comes across the field. Wes says, I mean, yeah, a lot of other teams do that too, but yeah, it's fine, whatever. And then <laughs> after the break, I said, okay, so you just really wanted to bleep all over that. It's like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. I like, all right, it, it was a good play, don't get me wrong. And I just think even with that one, it's also the timing mm-hmm. because look, I think this is, I actually think this is a misconception. There's so many times when people will blame the offensive coordinator when the offense doesn't put up points. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. And for me, I think what people want to see is some Ben Johnson type stuff where you have a, where you have a lateral in order to pick up a fourth down aggressive attempt. I think people want to see 50 yard bombs and some attacking in the middle of the field crosses all the time with guys getting separation. And yeah, that would be fantastic. But I also think when you dial up those plays on a first down when everything is open, the defense can't cheat one way or the other because you're at a part of the field where you play too aggressive against the run on what is usually a running down to traditional football minds, then they're going to throw it over the top and you just got might get deep, uh, hit deep. But then with this play action, putting guys in motion first and you want to set your quarterback up really close to the line of scrimmage. That's why I like that play. But I'm with you. Like, yes, you're going to be faking to the right. You're going to have guys pull one way and then hit them with something different. But I think that's what we want. You're not looking for plays that have never been done before. You want some wrinkles. You want wrinkles in it. And I think the setup is important, too. LaVisca was heavily involved. And then you use him as a decoy. And people are paying attention. Oh, hell, here they go with LaVisca again because they already used him. They picked up one first down. I just thought it was the right time to bring that type of play out. And it really helped him out. No doubt. And you hurt my feelings. No, oh, I'm sorry, man. It's I apologize. Okay. It's all right. I'm sensitive. Bleep on your play. Feel I'm free to bleep on any of mine's. Uh, all right. Well, let's hear point. Let's hear the first one, and we'll see if I want to roll with it. All What's right. the defensive play that you want to roll with? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the first one I've got for you when you talk about on the positive side of things for the defense, second quarter, 30 seconds left, Derek Brown's sack. He lines up at nose guard. He looked like they're in a 4 2 5 yeah. Uh, configuration and he just absolutely destroys the center gets back there Brian Burns also applied pressure but then big uh, Derek Brown finish the playoff and I think it showed his versatility uh, as well because you're talking about a guy that now you line him up at defensive end in a 34 in a more traditional setting in that 
um, lineup, but then you can also put him as a three technique and as a nose guard. And so I think that right there, uh, that that was a big play, momentum grabbing play for them coming into half. Derek Brown had a really good game, and so I thought that play right there uh, was really indicative of what he can bring to the table. Yeah, I noticed that too. Derek Brown's alignment. It was not on the outside. It was in the middle, and you're talking about him getting to the quarterback. He had an 81 pass rush grade. I, I'm i glad you brought that one up. Brian Burns got pressure, one of the plays that showed his dominance, at least in the pass rush game. And I'll go to the first third down that the Falcons had in this one. Brian Burns got a sack. Straight speed rush. After the week that Brian Burns had, he decides to play after even confirming afterwards there was real thought to him just deciding to skip this game altogether. Straight speed rush, sets the tone, pay me, I'm faster than anyone rushing the passer. As athletic speed-wise as any pass rusher in the game, you're not going to find many dudes that are faster than him. More powerful, that's where it starts to come into play with Bosa, Garrett, Micah Parsons. Oh, you got Kayla McGarry, fourth best player at his position last year. Cool, I'm going to get a sack as soon as there's a legitimate passing down. I just thought that was right away setting the tone. But here's what I want to talk about before we go to other plays. Okay. We brought up Derek Brown and Brian Burns. Both played well. If you go to Pro Football Focus and you put some validity into their grades. I'll go there. Derek Brown got an 81 pass rush grade in this game. Very good. 51.5 in the run game. If you look at Brian Burns, 91.1 elite top five edge rusher type of numbers that you're going to get rushing the passer, which is ultimately what he's paid to do. But look at his run grade. It's 40. So I think when you start to look at the overall grade, which is only 68, that ranks 43rd out of 106 players at that position compared to what they did week one. The 68 grade to me, the 43rd ranking to me, does not accurately depict what he gave you against the Atlanta Falcons. But the running defense, if you isolate that, I wonder if that's the Carolina Panthers point. Don't get it twisted. I don't agree with it. I think Brian Burns, especially with the kind of hell that he can cause in the past game, he showed you against Atlanta. That's a good offensive line, too. Let's not move the goalposts, right? Like, this isn't just against a team that has a whole bunch of turnstiles as bookend offensive linemen. Now, nah, he messed Caleb and Gary up. He had holding penalties. He drew false starts. He got the football out of Ritter's hands. What else more do you want from him? Maybe it's to stop the run, but to me, if pass rush is king... I'm paying him 28 mil and flirting with 30 and I'm going to lock in an important player on this team for the long term. And I think Derek Brown is even thinking the same. I expect the run grade to go up for Derek Brown as this year goes on. But with Brian Burns, it might not as much Wes. And I'm saying even despite that, he should still get paid. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that too. I think that he should be paid. No, I'm not changing, but I think that run grade, man, he's got to show some improvement in there somehow, man. You can't be, uh, I'm not going to say soft against the run, but you just can't be a guy that teams can pinpoint. You want to be a balanced player because when you look at a lot of the guys at the top of the position as well, they're pretty adequate run players as well, whether you want to talk about Miles Garrett or Nick Bosa or Micah Parsons or those guys at the top of the list, and I think that's the next step. He did have 17 tackles for loss last year, so he can be disruptive and break up the run game, but that's an area you don't want to see that because you're talking about uh, a defense that missed a lot of tackles, gave up five yards per carry uh, against the run and so yeah the pass rush might be good but when you break it all down let's say you get a sack in four or five pressures 
that's five plays out of a football game. When you're talking about going up against some of the best quarterbacks in the league, you got to be able to keep them behind the chains because, again, like I said the other day, if you're playing against some of these top-notch offenses and they're able to get five yards per carry on the run, you're going to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards because good quarterbacks, you give Patrick Mahomes five yards of carry if you want to. You give Tua Tungavaloa, he showed you. You give him five yards of carry. You give Justin Herbert, take your pick of top quarterbacks, you give him five yards of carry, it's going to be a long day, man. You're probably going to give up 30-plus. Well, and I don't want to belabor it, but there was a little hesitation. It sounds like that does matter enough to you to oh, actually, it you know, yeah. well, I mean, but even in the sense of paying them, like, it, it does seem if Carolina is going to point to that side and say, look, this is something where you even get bad grades on. Mm-hmm. Like, you're it, not only are you not average at times, maybe you're even a little below average. This is why we don't want to pay you 28. I don't agree with it. I think Brian Burns' pass rush ability is special. I think he showcased that in week one. I'm not saying he doesn't need to get better against the run, but I think it's special enough to override any concerns that you might have in the run game in order to pay him and lock him up for the future. Because if you're, if that's the case, like if Carolina really digs their heels in and he gives you a couple more games where he gets blasted off the spot in the run game, first downs, you're not able to hold guys in check. If they run at you, like if you become that kind of liability, if Carolina digs their heels in, this could get even uglier, Wes. No question. I, that that's going to be interesting to see. Now, if he performs better there, maybe you start to gain some of that leverage back. But if you're starting to think about it the other way, I I wonder how long this thing could go into the season if he struggles even more so. No question about it. And so that's the thing, man. You don't want to play because what what's the point if I get a sack for a five yard loss and then the team runs for eight nine yards on the next play and puts himself right back ahead of the chains. That's the thing. You want to have balance play from your best defensive player. He's touted as the best defensive player. You need to be all around. And so if we go to the negative side of things, let's talk about the Bajan uh, touchdown that he had and the missed tackles on that football play. And there were a lot of missed tackles by the Carolina Panthers out there, and especially when you talk about the secondary. I'm sorry. Von Bell can come up and lay some hits every now and again, but he missed a lot of tackles. He was, he was bad in this game. Dante Jackson just... I mean, you get out there on him, you might as well count that as yards gain. And so when you look at it, you break it down. They missed 12 tackles as a team versus Atlanta. But when you look at some of the top NFL defenses and, and the amount of tackles they're missing, San Francisco missed seven, Philadelphia missed four, Dallas missed four. So when you're talking about missing 12 tackles, and especially some of these plays like the B. John touchdown, he put a disgusting move on Frankie Lubu because he definitely had the angle. Oh, it was disgusting. And he could have came in and turned that play into a loss or a minimal gain. But credit him being such a good player. That's why you go out and draft guys in the top 10 to be difference makers, to make a play that could be dead in the water, to make something out of that. And he did that. But then here comes Von Bell, and I believe... Shaq Thompson, I have the same play written down. Yeah, and I mean, he just runs through those two. To get to the end zone. And I think, you know, you look at some of the bigger plays they had, especially when Bijan had to rock, Algier, these guys we talked about, Atlanta averaging five a carry. The tackling was not good, especially in the run game. That's something that will have to improve because, again, like I said, you will be at the mercy of a lot of these offenses if you let them stay ahead of the chains. So this is why I'm optimistic of the Panthers getting rid of some of those flaws going forward because we believe in Frankie Louvu as a linebacker. We believe he's one of the better defenders. And he did have a run defender, yes. And we didn't and he did not have a good game against Atlanta. Same thing with Von Bell. I think Von Bell is a good NFL player. No, I don't think he's a Pro Bowl safety, but I think he's probably fringe. 
he was very meaningful to what they did in Cincinnati alongside Jesse Bates, and they had some better players. But Von Bell, he mattered a lot to what Lou Amaruno was able to do against some top-flight offenses in the AFC, getting to the Super Bowl, getting to the AFC Championship game. Boy, was this not his game. He missed quite a few tackles. And you brought up the Bijan reception for a touchdown. Same thing. I, I brought up that same play here. So I think it's just indicative of, of the overall problem within this contest because they could have stopped him so many times. Frankie Louvu, go straight. First of all, let's talk about the Jeremy Chin blitz because he blitzes as soon as Ritter realizes it. He's like, hopefully oh, I got to get rid of it. Geno Smith style, Aaron Donald rushing down the middle. So he gets rid of the football and Chin almost tips it, but he doesn't. And so it's completed. Luvu is running full speed ahead and Robinson just makes an incredible play as he's catching it goes right and then left and Luvu dives for air and Robinson's running free. But then you get, you looks like you're about to get a, a Bajan sandwich from Frank, from Shaq Thompson and Von Bell jukes away from Von goes right into Shaq. Von Bell had a missed tackle. But Shaq's the one that I really look at there, Wes. Like Shaq, he he was juking into you. That should have been something to where Shaq was able to wrap up and maybe he gets the first down, but not the touchdown. And to me, I thought Shaq Thompson missed some tackles, but I don't expect that to happen. I think Shaq Thompson is an average to even above average linebacker. I, I think he's a little above, but not TD, Luke Keekley level, as we've talked about a mm-hmm. lot. I think Frankie Luvu is going to shore up that tackling. I think... The defensive line, even on the Algier first touchdown that he had, where he there's nowhere to go, but the offensive line keeps the hands and the defensive tackles just enough away for Algier to bounce that out on the outside. I think the tackling is going to be there. As you know, as a football player, that's one of the last things to come, especially with you not being as physical in practice as you used to be able to be. So, or you used to be able to show that kind of physicality. I think that'll come as the season goes on. Yeah, and so, again, the the other play that I had that was on the not-so-positive side was the first and 10, 13 seconds to go in the third quarter. Brian Burns, one of the few blemishes he had on the day, he crashed down inside. He bit on the play fake. He thought Ritter was going to still have the ball because he was looking for that sack and not playing a run. Probably took a minus in the film room for not playing his responsibilities. He crashes inside. Bijan takes it right around, or Bijan takes it right around that uh, left side off of left tackle and then shakes Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin goes flying by as he makes a nice <laughs> cut uh, to the inside and gets it down inside of the five that helped set up uh, an Atlanta score. And so that's something that's definitely going to have to be shored up as this season goes along. This team is going to have to get better uh, at the fundamentals of tackling. Yeah, that, that's my room for optimism, though. I, so Atlanta – they're going to be a top five running team. I, I think they're going to be the best running team in all the NFL with that offensive line, with those two running backs, them being scared of Desmond Ritter. I think that's going to be the best running team in football. So already that's an advantage for the Falcons. And I think tackling will come as the season goes on. That's a good sign for them playing the other teams. They were in the right spots for the most part, Wes. I think, I mean, it's not every time, but if they were sure tacklers and they only missed like two, then or you know whatever a couple right not as many as they did Frankie Luva was flying all around the field it was not a problem with his effort or even instincts it was just him not wrapping up same thing with Von Bell same thing with Shaq Thompson so I I expect that to to shore itself up self up um against New Orleans and even beyond that hopefully it happens though against the New Orleans Saints let's go to the last fitty flash of the day and you're going to want to listen to it at the end might have a little handout for you go ahead fitty hit him with what you got
fitting. All right, guys. Uh, we've talked about it at nauseum, the Tez Walker situation at Carolina. And, look, UNC's been very vocal about their disappointment with the NCAA. There was a meeting called yesterday where they're potentially going to maybe sue the NCAA. Well, the NCAA has responded. In a statement uh, that reads as follows, the Division I board is troubled by the public remarks made last week by some of the University of North Carolina leadership. Those comments may directly contradict what we and our fellow Division I members and coaches called for, including UNC's own football coach, that being Mac Brown. We are a membership organization rather than pursue a public relations campaign that can contribute to a charged environment for our peers who volunteer on committees. We encourage members to use established and agreed upon procedures to voice concerns and propose and adopt rule or policy changes if they are dissatisfied. How damn hard is it for that lifeless organization to just admit they're wrong? Because they're wrong. And I have no problem. If, if this was Duke, NC State, Kansas, Kentucky, we would all agree that the way that they're attacking the NCAA is right. And these cowards, instead of saying, you know what, we're right, we're going to let the kid play. No, well, we, we don't like that they're dissatisfied. <laughs> Make the right decision then, damn it. And then Mac Brown wouldn't say that, that type of stuff publicly. It's so... It's so moronic, and I hope they sue. I hope they sue the hell out of them. <laughs> I, I, I would donate my check for a year to help the lawsuit. It's fine, right, man. Almost, I think you. Um, almost, like I. I think you went one sentence too far with what I truly believe from you because I don't <laughs> expect that happening. Well, all right. So if you're not going to donate your check, will you donate some tickets to the third caller? Uh, to yeah, the Charlotte FC that. game. All right. Yes, we are giving away tickets to the Charlotte FC game this Saturday. Feel free to call in. Two tickets, by the way. Two tickets to the Charlotte FC game at Bank of America Stadium this Saturday. If you're the third caller, we're going to give them to you. 704-570-9610. Call in for two Charlotte FC tickets on Saturday. The number to dial is 704-570-9610. Lucky to the third caller, we'll give you some tickets at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Congrats to Tom winning those Charlotte FC tickets. We appreciate everybody listening to the show, calling in, attempting to get them. Don't know if we'll have more as we go on here, but we at least had a couple there we were able to give out. We appreciate you calling in. And again, congratulations to Tom. One thing we didn't really hype up enough, we would talk about it during the breaks, and this was last week. I wanted to talk about it, but never did. 
Wes, you were going to ride in a helicopter this mm-hmm. weekend. Yes. And then I looked over the weekend, even on Friday, mm-hmm. and I didn't see the video. And I was like, all right, well, maybe it didn't happen. Something came up. But then you dropped the video on like Saturday or yeah, something Saturday like that. Saturday morning. After recording all of the footage. And mm-hmm. so for those that don't know, Kyle Bailey gave us the opportunity to ride a helicopter, land at midfield of the Audrey Kell football game, and then Wes was going to be the celebrity coin flipper, if you will. And then you got to see them. You got to speak, I believe, to the team in the locker room a yes. little bit or hang out yes. with them. Tell us about your experience being on the helicopter <laughs> and your day at Audrey Kell. Yeah, it was pretty cool, man. Got out there a little bit after five. Got to hang out for a bit, talk to uh, all the good people out there, Dave and the crew, just hanging out and uh, get to ride in the helicopter, check out the game and Gator team uniforms. I went and talked to, I think it was, oh, man, I feel bad. The, the team of Copperheads were the opponent because the other guy that did it with me, Steven, he went to RGKL, so he was supposed to speak to them, but they didn't have time. I went and talked to the opposing team. Went in there and just gave him a quick message, kept it short and sweet, man. What was your message? Just told him to enjoy this and and how great high school football is and listen to their coaches and um They call you Mr. Bryant? (laughs) No, man. (laughs) But they're just sitting there with those young faces. And I told them just, you know, for some of them, this is going to be it. Some of them might go on to play more. But just to just enjoy this, there's nothing like high school football. Then we did the helicopter ride, which is interesting. No doors on the helicopter. Shout out to KB that just came into the room. But there's no doors on it. So it's like, you know, first you sit in there and you start to go up. And you're like, man, you know, this is wild. And when you're flying and it's steady, you good, but then when they take a little dip here and there, like I closed my eyes a couple of times, I was like, "Oh God!" Definitely said a prayer before we got up there in the air, and then, uh, but it was cool, man. And what was really surreal was I flew over the YMCA that I used to work at when I was a camp counselor, when I was definitely paying major dues. So that was pretty cool. I was like, "Man, I used to work there. Now I'm flying back over it to be able to do this." Landed on the field. My mom was out there as well. She got to capture some stuff too. Then walked out there with the team to uh, to to flip the coin, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Stayed around for like the first half of the game, but it was a, a great experience, man. Just getting a fly over, like I said, with no doors on it, man. It was pretty cool. I wanted to I wanted to know exactly how that helicopter ride was going to be for you because you said you've never <laughs> been in a helicopter never, before, never, especially one with no doors. Yeah, and now Kyle, I don't know. I think we talked about it. You haven't done this for Audrey Kell, but you said you have been in a helicopter before. No, well, I, did, I haven't done the helicopter for this. Right, that's um, what I'm Yeah, I've been in one, yes, but have I, I didn't do it for this event. Okay. Um, but shout out to Mark Brodowitz, the guy who sets everything, yes. runs everything. Shout Hell of a good guy, Mark, Mark Brodowitz. But um, I saw it. Yours was cool. I saw all your pictures and your video, your compilation. Yeah. Mine was fun. I was at South Point a couple of years ago doing it. But uh, I, did you catch the ball out of the football or out of the drone? They, they didn't have time to do it before the game. And then they said after they said at halftime they wanted to do it. And then they said that they didn't have time after that. Okay, so, so they we did it. I dropped it. Mm. Yeah, I saw where they I, I, dropped it from, and then the size of the ball, the football yeah. that they dropped out of there. I felt pretty good that my I'm chances getting, you, of what I would have caught it. You probably, you know, discerned by now that I was not a kick returner, right? <laughs> Just by my build and all likelihood, you probably figured that out. Yeah, so. but you say you were in uh, H-back. Yeah, no, I had pretty good hands. Yeah. But just the perspective of, like, catching a punt, I didn't have it, right? Gotcha. You know, so nobody taught me pinch your elbows, right? Because I didn't have to do that as, as a punt returner. So I'm very cocky. I'm yeah. very confident. I'm like, I got great hands. What are you talking about? I'm yeah. going to catch this football. And sure enough, it goes straight between my elbows and hits 
hits the ground. And I, you know, I, I was humiliated. So Pat, Corey Miller let me have it for a week. It was See, I good. wanted to be a skill guy in another life. So I used to go outside and play, and I would throw the football very high in the air and act like I was a punt returner. You did? So I felt pretty oh, good. Oh, that's, that that's some no-sibling football right yeah, there. Yeah, man. I, I used to go out there and throw yeah. that football. <laughs> brother yeah, so I, do that. I'd throw it as high as I could in the I air and try to track brother. it. <laughs> yeah, I tried to check it down. There. I was aiming for my brother's head. Yeah, it still <laughs> makes me squeamish though when I watch football for real, for real. I don't know how those guys do it, man. That is such an underrated oh, job yeah. on a football field, being oh, yeah. a return man. The first time I was that was the Wild punts. World of Sports Disney Complex when I was in like the eighth grade. It was the first time I got to try to catch one out of a machine, right? Like yeah. a jugs machine that was there for. And I failed miserably. One of them yeah. hit me in the forehead. And I was like, this is impossibly difficult. Especially when they do it, man, when traffic is coming and things of that oh, nature. Yeah, I'm dude. like, how do they do it? It is one of the most un, uh, underappreciated skills you in You have to sports. be fearless. Well, yeah. and if and anybody that's ever returned a kick or a punt has the story of the time they didn't see the guy coming right at them. Oh, yeah. Everybody has that story. I've got a buddy that said, yep, there was that one time I did not call for a fair catch. Didn't see anybody. I was Bow. ready to go. Boom. Yeah. Knocked out. Wakes up. After five seconds and was sick, snot all over the place, Ooh. like actually didn't have a cold, nothing, but got rocked so hard. And this was early in high school. Even you still had it was just one of those dudes that was oversized. It was it was the dude that was way too big in middle school uh -huh. that didn't grow after that. But uh -huh. he didn't need to grow anymore. <laughs> That's the one that got him. Boom. He was sick for a week after that. You remember that the, uh, when XFL first came out, they were marketing the fact that they would not have fair catches and that guys were just going to be getting clobbered. Oh, but yeah. they actually had a halo rule. Oh, yeah. But at first they marketed as if punts were going to be just lawless. And I think at first they tried it and they were like, oh, no, this is like almost murder. We can't yeah. Do well, yeah. The, the thing I'll always remember about XFL, besides, of course, he hate me. We love him. It's the fact that you determined who was going to get the football at the beginning of the game yeah. by rolling the football yeah. out yeah. and releasing them like wild dogs. Yeah. All <laughs> rules, or no rules, I should say. Everything Bad. was fair go, and whoever got the football started off the game. Not great. What an amazing idea. It was. Yeah. yeah. There's, right. there's a reason that didn't last very long. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for Wesson Walker. You hear the man. That is the wonderful voice of Kyle hey, Bailey. He's going to be taking over from 3 to 6 alongside Smoke Ludwig. It's Sports Radio 92. 27 WFNZ.